before we begin to open up God's word to hear the message, let's spend some more time in prayer. Psalm 23 is a very familiar one to us all, and we've been doing a prayer series throughout this psalm, taking the words of each verse and praying those um, to the Lord. And that's the best way to pray, because we know when we're using scripture to pray, we're praying according to God's will, and that's exactly what we're told to do in the Bible itself. But the last verse of Psalm 23 says, Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Or the traditional rendering is forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So why don't you take just a second and ask God to increase your awareness of his goodness and his love towards you. We sang that, Lord, Show, give me an awareness of your presence. So often we, we know these things to be true, but sometimes in our experience, it's hard for us to remember these things are true in our, in our daily lives. So pray that this morning, more than anything else, God would show you his goodness and his mercy. Pray that. Father, thank you that in Christ we are your sheep. Those who trust in you are a part of your flock. Lord, give us a greater sense and awareness and experience, not just a, a knowing about, but a, an experience of your goodness and, and mercy and how in small things and large things you are following us. Um, you are preparing the way for us. You, you've hemmed us in, Lord. You, you care for us so deeply. Lord, give us a sense of your, your love and also your majesty and, and your greatness and, and help us to respond in worship this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. One of the finest stories ever told and certainly one of, if not the most famous parable that Jesus told is the parable of the prodigal son. Heard also that title, the parable of the lost son. So in this story that, that Jesus told, you have a father, a, a Near East father, head of the household, had two sons. The younger son goes to the father one day, I want 
my money early from the inheritance. You don't get an inheritance until after the father dies. So the, the son's basically saying, I would rather have your money than a relationship with you. You're as good as dead to me. When he gets the money, he leaves home. Jesus said he lives a wild life. He eats up all of the money that his father had given him very quickly, doing things that he should not have been doing. He gets a job that no Jewish man would have wanted, deeply shameful job, taking care of pigs, feeding pigs, cleaning out their, their mess. And suddenly he comes to his senses one day and remembers that his father's servants even, who worked in the household, lived better than he did, made a better living than, than he so he, he goes home with a speech prepared. He, he wants a job. He, maybe his father will just give him a job. But we're told by Jesus in this parable that the father saw him a long way off, runs to the son, and just embraces his son. To see someone a long way off would have meant that the father was looking for the son. There in the Middle East, it's, it's a treeless horizon, so they would have been able to see the son coming about a half mile away, which means the father would have had to routinely throughout the day look for the son or else the son would have already arrived home before the father saw him. He was waiting. He was patient. He was, he was watching for the son. He was longing for the son to come back to him. Researchers have identified how different Americans view God. According to a study by sociologists from Baylor University, in 2006, Americans view God in one of four ways. Some view him as authoritarian. God is, he's angry. He's, he's in control. Judgmental. Others view God as judgmental. God is critical, but he's really not going to do anything about it. He's not really going to intervene in the world. Accepting. God will accept us and love us no matter what. Then still yet distant. God launched the world, but he's like a clockmaker. He, he just started the clock ticking, and he's really not active in the world today. Now, these four, at least maybe partially, do capture something of God in their own way. None of them alone capture the fullness of God. For example, speaking of God being distant, it is true that God is transcendent. He's completely other. He, he's big. He's the creator of the world, and he's not dependent on his creation 
to be God. He doesn't need us to be God. But he isn't distant in the way that they phrase that in the survey. The scriptures say he's actually very near to us. He's transcendent, but yet he's also imminent. He's he's close to each one of us. Today we're going to share about one quality of God that too many people forget, and that's God's patience. That's God's longing heart to know us. God is a God who does, like the Father in the parable, long for us to come home to him. He, he looks for us. He's, he's waiting for us. He's not distant. He's not cold. He's not uncaring. He's not apathetic. He's patient with all of us. And next time you look up in the sky after a rain and see a rainbow, I want us all to remember God's patience after this morning. We're in a sermon series in the beginning of the Bible, beginning of the book of Genesis. It's called Genesis Beginnings. And we're just going from Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 11. And over the last few weeks, we focus on Noah and the promise that God made to Noah called a covenant. Let's read Genesis 9, 8 through 17 to find more about this covenant and then also the sign that God gave Noah to remind him of the covenant and us all to remind us of God's patience. Genesis 9, verses 8 through 17. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Understand that I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, birds, livestock, and all wildlife of the earth that are with you, all the animals of the earth that came out of the ark, I will establish my covenant with you that never again will every creature be wiped out by floodwaters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all future generations. I have placed my bow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I form clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures. Water will never again become a flood to destroy every creature. The bow will be in the clouds and I will look at it and remember the permanent covenant between God and all the living creatures on earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and every creature on the earth. This is God's holy word. So God, after the flood, made a covenant with Noah, with his family, and really with all 
creation, never to destroy the earth again in the same way like he had before in the form of a flood, at least until the promise of redemption had been fulfilled. And, and we hear about this promise already. We've heard about this promise in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, after the first sin, God gave the first promise, prophecy, about the Messiah who, who was to come. And he's speaking to the snake, the serpent that had deceived, and it's a judgment toward the snake, but hope to all humanity. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So from that point forward, from the point of the first sin, there were going to be God's people, the offspring of the woman, and then the offspring of the serpent. People who were living according to God's ways, trusting in him, walking in fellowship and covenant relationship with him. And then there was going to be people living in utter rebellion against God. And from God's people was going, one born of a woman was going to destroy the serpent, destroy the devil who had tempted man and woman to fall into sin and brought condemnation on all mankind. He will strike your head, talking about the deliverer, the Messiah. God's saying that the deliverer, Messiah, will stomp on the head of the devil, will deliver the death blow, and you will strike his heel. So the Messiah will get struck, and we know who this Messiah is, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for the redemption of humanity. Anybody who will place their hope and their faith in Jesus. So going back to Noah, God places the sign of the covenant in the sky. And he's saying, I won't ever destroy the earth in the same way that I did before until this promise that I have made is complete. Until the full number of my people have been redeemed. Then I'll destroy the devil. Then the end of the world will happen, but not before. He promises that the created order of things will remain as it always has been. There will still be the sun in the sky. Humanity will still be able to inhabit planet Earth until all the promises of God reach their full completion. Now let's take a step back here. I keep using Bible jargon. I, I use this word covenant. That's not one that we use typically today. What is a covenant? A covenant, according to theologian Dr. Tom Schreiner, is a chosen relationship in which two parties make binding promises to each other. A covenant is a, a promise relationship between two to be faithful to the agreement of the relationship. 
of the promise, a marriage vow, a, a covenant. It's a promise, a, a, until death do us part, promise between husband and wife to keep the marriage promise, the marriage covenant. Noah's covenant is different because God makes this promise. There's not a lot of conditions that God is asking Noah. And in fact, he doesn't make this promise just to Noah. He's made this promise to all creation, to all of humanity, including us. So we're still under Noah's covenant. God's still given us this promise. And it's an unconditional promise that no matter how humanity acts, God has promised never again to destroy the earth in the same way that he did in Noah's time with a flood. If we back up a couple chapters, we learn why God sent the flood in the first place because he was grieved that every thought of humanity was on evil things. That was the reason why God sent the flood. It was an act of of justice and judgment against our sin. But then in his mercy, God saved. God used Noah. He told Noah to build an ark that would preserve him, his, his family, and then animals so that the earth could be repopulated after the flood. Now, here in Genesis 9... God is extending a promise to all creation that he won't destroy the earth again in an event like the flood until his plan of redemption is complete. In many of the covenants in the Old Testament, there are, I think, five major covenants all throughout the Bible In the Old Testament, oftentimes, there was a sign that went with each covenant promise. Going back to marriage, our wedding rings are signs that we are married. It's a covenant sign. When God gave the covenant with Noah, he also gave a sign to remind of the covenant. Look at verse 17, Genesis 9:17. This is the sign of the covenant. So every time you see this bow in the sky, remember the promise that I have given you. This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and every creature on earth. Now, when we see a, a rainbow Today, we think of beauty, especially those big ones that stretch all across the horizon. We, we want to get our phones. We want to take a picture. And, of course, God has made the rainbow beautiful. But that's not its primary meaning. Moses, the writer of Genesis, used the word bow several times throughout the book of Genesis. And other than this, it's actually talking about bow, as in 
bow and arrow, a weapon of warfare at this time. At the end of the book of Genesis, God is giving blessings to Jacob's sons. And to Joseph, he gives a double blessing compared to the rest of his brothers. Over and above what I am giving your brothers, I am giving you the one mountain slope that I took from the Amorites with my sword and bow. So this was a promise that God was going to deliver a section of the land to Joseph and his descendants, and apparently God used a sword and a bow to give him this land. The point is the bow that is also the sign of the covenant with Noah represents a weapon of warfare. God is saying to us, any time that we see the rainbow in the sky, that he's being patient with us. His heart towards us isn't desiring our destruction. It's seeking our salvation. With the bow in the sky, instead of in God's hand, poised to unleash, it's as if God has promised to never again until the promise of Genesis 3 is complete The promise of redemption is finished to unleash his judgment in the same way that he did with Noah's flood. God is still being patient with us today. We still see the sign of his covenant in the sky. A covenant not just with Noah, but a covenant with us, with all creation. Sometimes some people mistake God's patience with weakness. They mistake God's patience with with apathy toward sin especially. They think, they assume, that because God is patient, that he won't ever judge sin. That he won't ever hold people accountable for the wrong things that they do. They think that the earth is just going to continue on as it always has been. Perhaps they even doubt that there is a God. Well, listen to 2 Peter, the Apostle Peter, on this topic. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 9. Above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, where is his coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. So there were people in Peter's day, exactly like today, where is Jesus? Where is God's judgment? It doesn't appear like he cares about the evil in the world. It doesn't look like he's going to do anything about it at all. 
saying, where is his coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. They deliberately overlooked this by the word of God. The heavens came into being long ago and the earth was brought about from water and through water. Through these, the world of that time perished when it was flooded. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Friends, understand that God has set a day of judgment. There is going to be a day when God aims the bow and lets it loose, when he does unleash his judgment, when he does call and hold everyone accountable for the wrongs that they have done. But for now, God is trying to get through to us we still have an opportunity to be saved. We still now live under Noah's covenant. We still live in a time of his patience. God isn't being slow, and he also isn't going easy on sin either. His desire is for our salvation, for people's salvation, and he's patient. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. He's he's fulfilling the promise of redemption. He's, He's waiting. He's inviting. He's like the father in the parable that Jesus told of the lost son. He's longing to know us. He He sent his one and only son, Jesus, so that we can be saved from our sins, so that we can be safe from the judgment and wrath of God that is coming on the world to hold everyone accountable for their sins if they haven't trusted in Christ before him. You see, Jesus is the only way of salvation, and he is the only way of escape from the judgment of God that is about to come. God created us, For his glory, he created us in his image to represent him, to live in relationship with him, to love him, to serve him, to know him. But our sin has separated us from God and greatly dishonored the name of God. Try as we may, our sin cannot be removed or cleansed by what we try to do. Self-improvement, religious activity, 
trying to do good things for other people, none of those things will take away our sin. But there is a way that God has provided to remove our sins. If we'll receive it, paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Now he invites everyone and anyone who will trust in Christ and turn from their sin to believe, to to receive this salvation, this, this gift of eternal life. And the moment that we do, life with Christ, new life begins. The moment that we believe and follow and will continue for eternity even after we die. That's how we know we can be safe from the judgment that is going to come on the world. And that's God's heartbeat. That's his desire that people would turn from their sin to trust in his son, Jesus, so that they can know him. So here's what's so challenging and convicting to me about this as a, as a Christ follower. If God doesn't want people to perish, I shouldn't either. If God doesn't want people to perish, I shouldn't either. Too often, I get busy in my day-to-day life and so easily forget about my neighbor who doesn't know Christ. I easily get callous toward the need of salvation that is so evident in the world around me. And I know I'm not the only one because it's so easy to lose our focus on eternal things and get so caught up on the stuff of this earth and stop sharing God's heart toward others. If God doesn't want people to perish, I shouldn't either. The Apostle Paul spoke of his desire for other Jewish people to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. He said this in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. I'll leave you with this. A few years ago, there was a Mercedes-Benz commercial that showed one of their cars colliding with a, a concrete wall. It was a safety test. Someone in the commercial asked the company smoke spokesman why they don't enforce their patent on this technology. They called it energy-absorbing car body. Why don't they enforce their patent, basically not allowing other car companies to use their technology, which was very effective and was going to save lives? In the commercial, this spokesman replies, because some things in life are too important not to share. Speaking of the gospel of salvation, how true.
Some things in life are too important not to share. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your love and your compassion and patience with us. Lord, I pray that our heart would be like yours, desiring the salvation of others. Teach us to number our days, Lord, so that we may gain wisdom in our heart. Help us to remember that our lives are but a breath, here one day and then gone the next. Lord, help us to live them for your kingdom and your glory and the desire to influence others for Christ for eternity. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Will you stand? And this morning, maybe God has shown you that today is a day of salvation, that you need to receive the gift that God has offered you, his son, Jesus Christ. I, I can and I would love to be able to lead you in prayer so that you can receive Christ as your Savior. Maybe there's another decision that God has placed on your heart that it's heavy on your soul right now. Maybe you need to come and, and pray for help to be obedient to what God is calling you to do. Maybe you need to make something public with the church today. You do as God is leading you in this moment. Thank you.